All right. So we all have stories of grace. And this week, my husband and I, we were, we were talking about grace. And so he, he started to tell me a story that I completely forgotten about, of an experience he had about extravagant grace that was given to him by someone. And, and as he began to say it, he said, you know, grace doesn't just forgive, but it gives. It gives so much and grace is a gift. It's just such a blessing. And so this last Tuesday, we had our prayer meeting at church and Anarchy was praying and she was praying about the grip of God and his hand that, that just grips us. And as she was praying, I began to have this picture of God's hand that does not let go. And I began to think about like, what would my life actually be if God removed his grip of grace off of me? Even for a day, what would my life be if he removed his grip of grace? And this morning when I was having my quiet time, I um, was reading in Psalms. And so I just love this that I read this morning. It just, it kind of tied in. So I just want to read it. Psalm 139, starting in verse four to six. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So he lays his hand upon us every day. And just as Abby spoke out in worship, his hand is upon you in those places today that you don't feel you can survive or you don't know what you're doing. His grace is upon you today in those places. And so I want us to turn to, I don't know if you have your Bibles with you, but I want us to turn to John chapter 1. I'm always taking us back to John, even though we did a whole series in John. Just a few verses, John chapter one, verse 14. I just want to look at the, this, these few verses. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Then down to 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Isn't that unbelievable? His grace is never ending. There's a full supply of it. You can receive grace upon grace. And do we draw, do we live every day drawing from the resources of God's fullness? This never ending supply of grace is there for us today. So let's just quickly go over what does grace biblically mean? And sometimes it's easy. Mercy and grace, uh, can they're similar, and yet they're different. So, you know, mercy, when we have, when the Lord convicts us, he gives us grace and convicts us. We come to that place of repentance. What is it that we cry out when we recognize our sin? Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. So mercy is giving us something other than what our sins deserve. Instead of eternal punishment, he gives us eternal life. That's mercy. And grace, grace is um, defined as unmerited favor. So there's nothing that you or I can do to make ourselves worthy of grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that none of us can boast. In this the beginning of this verse, the, the funny thing that strikes me, it says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. But the thing is, we can't even have faith without grace. There's nothing we can do in this life that does not incorporate God's grace upon us. 
So God doesn't give us his grace when we think we finally have ourselves all together. It has nothing to do with how good we think we are or our our good works or our effort to change. In fact, grace is the vehicle to change. Grace is the vehicle to bring transformation in our lives. So striving for perfection is never going to earn us grace. In fact, grace can only be experienced. It can only be received when we actually, in the, basically in the acknowledgement of our weakness. And 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Think about this. Christ has chosen for his power to be perfected when coupled with our weakness. This, this, when I start to think about that, it's like his grace is magnified in the presence of my weakness. I can glory more in his power when I recognize my weakness. So he sees us in our weakness and in our sin. And he says, let me give you this gift of grace that's going to completely change you. It's going to transform you. Let me be the sufficiency Let me be your sufficiency through my grace. For so many years, I would think of grace in the context of salvation. So when I thought of the word grace, that's what I would think of, that he saved me from my sin. Yet it was a handful of years ago that I began to learn more about God's grace. And grace is not just a one-time gift in the moment of salvation. It's a gift for us to walk in every single day, to be aware of every single day. And so there's different functions of grace that we see in scripture. And this is not by any means an exhaustive list, but it's unmerited favor allows us to do things that we could never do apart from God. So it saves us. His grace sanctifies us. His grace convicts us and delivers us. His grace sustains us in difficult times like Abby was praying into today. And it's actually his grace that enables us to steward his blessings, his his presence. It's his grace that gives us the power to be obedient, to conquer sin. It's his grace that gives us the ability to forgive. It strengthens us to serve. His grace enables us to be generous givers. His grace abounds. We see that in Acts to to enable us to be generous. And then his grace enables us to use the gifts that we have been given. You see, the Lord puts a grace on each gift. And, you know, sometimes I've thought before how we can emulate or we can um, look up to someone who we see them operating in such powerful giftedness and we go, wow, I wish I could be like that. And sometimes jealousy can creep in there. But, you know, I thought one day I actually wouldn't want to walk, to try to emulate, to try to copy what they're doing because I would not have the grace upon it, upon that gifting if God had not given that to me. So really we would just crash and burn. So we actually need to stick to what the Lord has given us, what he's called us to do and not try to be somebody apart from who we are. But he will give us the grace upon the gifts that he's given you. He will empower you in fresh and powerful ways. So instead of us trying to lead ourselves or enhance our own self-image, we need to allow him to lead us into the gifts and the opportunities that he has for us that that he can place his grace upon. So I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 3, verse 3 to 6. This is where Paul tells us to, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. 
And we know also from uh, James chapter 4 that God gives grace to the humble. So it says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on to list what those gifts are. You know, and it's interesting when you think about God's grace upon a gifting, it actually makes you look really good. When you see someone operating in the grace of God, you go, wow, but it's nothing to do with them. What you're impressed with is actually the grace of God upon their life. And that's what is so powerful. We have nothing to boast in except for our weakness. The Apostle Paul, he understood grace. He understood that it was not only the power that saved him, it was not just the vehicle to transform him, but it was also the empowerment for his daily living. So look at, I want you to turn now to 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is what Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He understood that it was the grace every single day. And then look, so he said something else in Ephesians chapter 3. I might be flipping too fast. I see people still flipping. <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 7. This is so good. He says this, of the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So you see, Paul, he could have made excuses as to why not to preach to the Gentiles. He could have said, I'm the least of all. I'm the most unworthy. But no, the grace of God had given him a gift. And so he stepped into it with boldness, with authority, trusting in the grace of God to sustain him. I just think that's so powerful. And remember, Stephen, I, always, I, I actually can't wait to meet Stephen in heaven. He was a deacon and he comes onto the scene in the book of Acts. And he was chosen. The, the apostles needed to spend their time in prayer and preaching, and, but the widows were being neglected. And so they said, we need to choose seven men to help oversee the care of the widows. And so, so Stephen was one of these men chosen. But the grace of God moved him even beyond the care of widows. You see, he didn't only live in his little role. He didn't just live saying, this is the role I've been given. He was open to God moving him beyond into other realms. And so he walked in signs and wonders. He walked in boldness, telling others about the wonderful faithfulness of God. He had grace not to be intimidated by the council, by those who were opposing him in that day. And it was God's grace that enabled Stephen to live surrendered to the sovereign will of the Lord, to be a bold witness no matter what would happen to him. And, you know, Stephen didn't know it, but in the book of Acts, there's recorded his, uh, a speech. <laughs> he had given this 
this speech and he, and he didn't know that this was going to be the first and it was going to be the last, but he did it with boldness. He did it with grace and power. That's what it was said of Stephen in the book of Acts, that he was a man full of grace and truth, power, the Holy Spirit. And so the grace of God, even in the moment after his speech, he was stoned. And the grace of God enabled him to, to pour out grace upon those who were killing him, to ask God for mercy upon their lives. That is the power of grace. And just like Stephen, when God begins to call you to step out in new ways, I don't know why I'm so emotional, but he, you can be assured that he is going to place his grace upon that calling. He's going to give you a grace and he wants you today to step into faith, to activate that grace for tomorrow. At the beginning of each year, I'm just going to share a bit of my own journey with you right now and and how I started to grow and living in this acknowledgement of God's grace every day. And at the beginning of each year, I'll ask the Lord, like, what do you have for me this year? Is there a specific thing you want to teach me or grow me in? And, and so a handful of years ago, the Lord, I heard him say grace. And to be honest, I was actually kind of disappointed. I don't know what I was expecting to hear, but I came later to realize that I actually had so much to learn about grace because at that point in my life, I didn't live with a conscious awareness of grace every day. But he wanted to help me to understand what it meant to walk in future grace by faith. And I didn't even know that John Piper had written a book on future grace. My husband actually, when I was talking about this to him one time, he goes, John Piper's actually written a book called Future Grace. And I still actually haven't even read it. I'd like to, so maybe on my vacation. But that's what God wanted to show me. He said, there's future grace for you, and I want you to activate it by faith. So within that month of him talking to me about grace, he threw me into the deep end, and he threw me a lifeline called grace. And he was, showed me that I actually had gifts that were still untapped, almost as gifts that had been lying dormant, that I didn't even know were there. And it came in, so he began to, to show me that I actually had gifts in speaking. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I was going through my, um, some, my, my mom had kept like childhood, you know, report cards and school books and such and such from elementary school days. And so one day I, I started going through it, like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I start reading. And I had no memory whatsoever of winning speech contests in elementary school. I had no memory whatsoever of being chosen as the student body president. Like these things, I just, I didn't even remember. And I kind of joked that speaking was so traumatic that I, I just blocked the memory of it. But it was like these gifts that I had back then that were recognized, they were just completely dormant. And so then fast forward a number of years when I was at our other church, I had been asked to give a testimony on forgiveness. It's about a 10 minute testimony. And we have two service, we had two services then in our church. And so I was, I was just asked, can you just give a testimony in the first service only? So, but at that point, I was the kind of person I worked behind the scenes. I was the event coordinator for 10 years. Everything that was off the stage was under my 
that was kind of my role. So I made sure that everything off the stage was functioning well. I didn't want anything to do with on the stage. That wasn't my realm. I felt comfortable behind the scenes and I felt safe there. And so as I got onto the stage to being able to share my testimony, I was literally shaking in my boots. I was so terrified. But as I began to speak, people began to break down all around in the audience and they began to cry. And I remember being completely off guard. I didn't know what was happening, but at the end of the service, I didn't want to talk to anyone. So I went and I hid out in the office because it was in between services. And so people are coming and going and I didn't want to be lingering in the foyer. So I went and hid. I was trying to regain a sense of calm and but I didn't hide obviously well enough. And I'm the pastor, he comes and finds me and he says, that was really powerful. Can you do that again in the second service? And this sense of calm that I had only just began to feel hiding out was suddenly snatched away just like that at the thought of having to do this again. And anxiety, the fear of man, it just instantly rose to the surface. And then fast forward a number of other years, I was sitting in my office there at that church and I felt the Lord begin to speak to me about my future. And so I was sitting at my desk, so I grabbed a piece of paper and I just started jotting things down as things came. And I had had a dream um, that I started jotting down and just asking the Lord about it. And, and I was praying into the idea of one touch at that point nothing had started we had only been praying about it for a number of years and the lord said you don't make it happen i'll make it happen and so we had been just praying praying and praying and praying and but as i'm jotting down my paper i actually found this paper when i was flipping through books this week and so here's my little sheet that i was jotting down at the church and along the way i'm jotting down different things and then cliff jewel his name comes to my mind so I put his name down on the piece of paper, nothing beside it, just Cliff Jewell. He was on one of the lines. And at that point, I don't know if all of you know, but uh, Pastor Cliff and us were, were related. He's my brother-in-law. And so our, our spouses are siblings. And so at this point in our lives, even though we only live 20 minutes away from each other, our families, we only saw each other. Um, on like Christmas, Easter, like the big celebratory times of the year. And so I, it's not like I hung out with Cliff all the time. So I was like, why is Cliff's name coming up? And so I began to pray about it. And so I sent Cliff an email and I said, Cliff, I don't know why the Lord brought your name to me. I, but I'm wondering, like, maybe you're supposed to be a part of the team, the One Touch team. I just told him what we've been, you know, a brief vision of it. And at that point, I actually didn't even know what One Touch was going to be. The Lord had also said it's going to look nothing like what you expect. But at that time, I was passionate about street ministry. I had been volunteering with Night Shift uh, weekly. And, and my husband and I, we would take our kids when they were little and we'd fill up a big, massive container of hot chocolate and take it out to the streets with our kids. We'd flop down the back of the truck and we'd just visit with the people in Wally on the homeless strip there. And then on Christmas, we'd gather all of our the cousins and we have a, an assembly line of sandwich making and Christmas day, we take it out with candy canes back out to Wally there. And so I loved things like that. I was passionate about it. I was passionate about, I wanted to help children be rescued from the sex trafficking. And I was passionate about prison ministry. And so I thought one touch was going to look something like one of these kinds of missions, being involved in one of these kind of mercy missions somehow. So anyways, I emailed Cliff and 
he emails me back a little, I don't know, I think it was about a week later. And he says, well, I don't have the time to be a part of a team, but I've talked to the leadership of the church and we want to invite you to come and do a conference. And I remember getting his email going, a conference? I'm the kind of person who puts on a conference. I don't speak at conferences. I don't know what I'm doing. And so anyways, three or four months later, here we are having yielded expectations at the church on Oxford Hill, which was the beginning, actually, one touch was birthed there at Oxford Hill by the invitation of the leadership for us to come. So that was the birthing of it. But you know, even at conference, it was a Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, I was going to preach my very first message ever. And Saturday night after the, the evening service, I came home, I was laying on my couch. I wasn't emotional. I wasn't distraught. I was just very matter-of-factly, very intellectually thinking, going, you know, speaking is not for me. This just, I just don't feel like doing it. I don't think, I started to act like Moses, actually, making all of these excuses about why I should be one never to speak again, how I was not equipped. I'm preaching the next morning, but I've never taken a preaching class in my life. What am I doing? This is not what I should be doing. And so I, there I was making all of these excuses. But you know, in reality, the weaknesses that were behind all of those excuses was exactly what God needed for his grace to be outpoured, for his power to be made perfect, and for me to realize that there was life beyond what I had limited by myself by. You see, until that time, I was living safe. I didn't need, I didn't think I needed his grace because I had everything in control. I kept my realm of safety that didn't cause me to go, oh, Lord, I need you. And so I don't know what happened to my Saturday evening laying on the couch talking to God. But within a month, there I was flying to Thunder Bay to teach and to preach again. And the Thursday night at Thunder Bay, every Thursday night, um, at Pastor Mika and Tamara's church, they would do a worship night and then, and then Pastor Mika would speak. And so I had the Friday, Saturday, Sunday teaching and messages all prepared. But every time I prayed about Thursday night, I got absolutely nothing, but the Lord said, trust me. And so I just, okay, I'm going to trust him. And then when I get there, Mika says, you have an hour to speak. And I remember going, I have an hour to speak and I have not a clue what I'm going to say. And it went on all day and that I was in my room just praying and worshiping before we left to the church. And then I'm standing in the front row with him. We're worshiping because there's a long worship set. And he kept leaning over. Do you have anything yet? No, I don't. And it was a huge step of faith for me to activate God's grace. I could have been sitting there thinking, I am about to make a fool of myself. What am I doing? Or I could focus on the fact that God had powerful grace for me, that when I stepped up to the plate in front of that mic, he was actually going to give me the words to say. It was an incredible lesson. It felt so freaky to me. But I did it. And when I got up and shared, I actually could have spoken longer than an hour. And I had people come up to me later who said that you spoke into the exact things our church was needing to hear at that time. And you know, his, his grace will enable you to take risks. It'll move us beyond where we feel that we can be. It moves us beyond where, we're, where we limit him in our lives. 
It gives you, it gives you this chance to know his divine empowerment upon you. You see, many of us, we make decisions every day upon what we think our capacity is. We only choose to be a part of something if we think we can do it. We don't even think to include how God could actually increase our ability or give us strength or give us energy to do something we wouldn't normally do. He wants us to look at life through the lens of his grace. You see, opportunities may arise. And instead of being like Moses or being like Gretchen, making all of these excuses, he wants us to step into new realms of faith that his grace is going to empower us, that it's going to sustain us. So are we ready, church? Are we ready to go beyond what we can do, beyond what you, what I could do, and join a global movement to make his name known? You see, God, I had this picture one day while praying, and I saw the platform of the church beginning to rise. It's no longer underground. The Lord is calling the church to rise. He is raising up voices of righteousness in our day. He is raising up voices, even as you go to the supermarket, to be a voice of love, of encouragement. And he's saying, do you trust me that when you open your mouth, I will give you the words to speak. I will give you the word of encouragement that that cashier needs to hear in the moment. That is what he wants to pour out upon us today. And it's a day to lay down our excuses because it's not about us. It's about his power upon our lives. You know, some of us are still living in the rubble of our past. And we've yet to arise with strength and power. But his grace is even over your past. His grace is over where you're still trapped by the lust of your flesh. His grace has given you the gift to be delivered from your sin. And so even today, I just want to take a moment to say thank you, Jesus, for my brothers and sisters, that your grace is powerful enough to deliver them, even in this instant, even in this moment, from their sin. You know, there was a day in my life I kept saying, I want to be free. I knew I wasn't fully free, and 95% of me said, I want to be free. But who was I kidding? There was 5% of me that said I didn't want to be free, that I actually enjoyed my sin. I enjoyed the lust of my flesh. And until I got to 100%, I was not going to be free. Until I got to recognizing the ugliness of my sin, the grace of Christ would not come and wash over me. You know, James 4, it talks about resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what's at the beginning of that verse? Submit to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That is the key to freedom. You see, living 95% submitted to God is not going to bring me freedom. You see, the devil cannot, he can't linger in the life of an individual who is 100% submitted to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He can try to attack you, but he is not going to have victory to keep you in ongoing repetitive sin. He has no power if you are living 100% submitted to the Father, to the King of Kings. Then you can simply say, be gone, and he will flee. That is the truth of the gospel. And so I have mercy, I have compassion for those of you who are struggling, because I have been there. Struggling with the demonic, struggling to find freedom from the slavery of sin, but his grace is for you today. It is so powerful. 
I pray that we begin to recognize the power of grace in our lives. And then some of you today, maybe your gifts, like mine, were tucked away. We're lying dormant. You actually had no clue that there's gifts in you. And I just saw the Lord wanting to empower this fresh uh, joy. Some of you are feeling like there's got to be something more. And he actually wants to empower you in fresh ways where you're living, thinking, uh, thinking outside of yourself. So I pray that in this season, you begin to say, God, this week, this day, this afternoon, how do you want to empower me by your grace today? What opportunities do you want to give me that can be coupled with my weakness, with my fear, with my trepidation, so that I can see your power perfected in my life? That will be such a place of joy to begin walking like that. He wants us to empower. He wants to empower us to share his love. So I pray today as we just close that whatever gifts he has given you, that you will let him throw you into the deep end and activate his grace by faith today. I just bless you guys. I thank you so much for joining us. It's actually, this has been a real treat to be on Zoom instead of just staring at a camera because I keep, I'm actually looking at all of your faces while I speak, and I love that. It's such a blessing. And so, Lord, I, I just, I pray today for you guys that you are, know his grace. I want to grow in his grace more and more. You know what? I actually still make excuses all the time when it comes to speaking, and I keep trying to convince myself that maybe I should go be an interior designer, and I should do this, and I, and I keep doing it. And there's a time when we've got to lay down the excuses because he wants to empower us in a way that we've actually never been empowered before. So I just see that for us as a church, as we grow, as we minister into our region, into our city, that the Lord will give us vision and, the, and he's going to give us the grace to walk in the visions that he gives us. And so, Father, I just thank you today. I thank you for this family, for our body. I thank you that this is a faith-filled people, that this is a people who are eager to see you move. They're eager to see your grace poured out in our land. And Father, I pray that even today that we will be vessels of grace, not only receiving it, but giving it. And Father, I thank you that even in the giving of it, where it can be so difficult at times, it's actually your grace that will enable us to give grace. And so, Lord, we are fully 100% dependent upon you for everything that we do. We thank you for all that you have given us, and we pray that your name would be made known in this region in powerful and incredible ways in the days to come. In your name, amen.